Hello, I'm Jensen Bueller. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about motorcycles, so you don't have to. <laughs> no? No. no. New, new tagline? No, it's okay, though. I mean, you can well, do that. We gotta, we gotta, I'm I, just not used to it. I had this idea when I was driving that we'd like get a tagline for the show. Yeah. So I'm just going to beta test taglines for like the a next tagline different than kickstands up. <laughs> no, that's like, that's, that's, that's horrible. Is what that is. And it's gotten away from us and it needs to die. <laughs> well, you're not going to kill it with talking about motorcycles. Oh, so man. you don't have to. It's like, the, but I like that. I like that. Yeah. It's like the Hydra, you know, like every time you cut off one yep, of its heads, like two or three more coming. Yeah. Kickstands are going up and down oh, all over the God, place. Now. Kickstands are going up. Chest hairs are going up. Ugh. Submarines are going up. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. Uh, please follow us on Facebook. Uh, Quentin, on a daily basis, curates some of the finest motorcycling memes for your uh, two-wheeled enjoyment. And also follow us on Twitter, at Two Enthusiasts, where we basically tell you when a new show is coming out and post pictures of us doing the show. So a little bit of something there for everyone. I want to give a shout out to Loud V8 Noises on the iTunes for giving us a, a rating. I like Loud V8 Noises. Loud, it's a pretty good name. That's a pretty good username. Yeah, and sure. they ruined it with the kickstands up bros at the end of it. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Because there's no <laughs> kickstands with V8s generally, right? But he might have a boss sauce. You know what a boss sauce is? Yeah, I know what a boss sauce is. The best V8 noise that I've heard in years, speaking of V8 noises, is uh, jet boat racing. Yeah. So there's a jet boat racetrack. There's not very many in the United States. This is something that... I think got its start in Australia or New Zealand or both. And there's a couple of them in, and it's really in the Northwest of us. So in Albany, Oregon, which is about an hour, maybe a little bit longer than an hour South of here, there is a jet boat track and it is well worth, if you haven't, if you don't know what jet boat racing is, if you do your Googling right now and watch, just as you should just do jet boat crash and then, <laughs> right, then it'll come up with some epic stuff and it would blow your mind and they're big V8s and little boats and they're all jet boats. So they, they suck water in and blow it out like a jet ski. So they stick to the water. It's it's shit to a shag carpet. It's really impressive to watch them and the the, the, the they can turn on a dime. It's really impressive. But when they crash, it is an epic thing because it's like just coming unsucked from the water oh, and then just a yard a sale. Real, oh, dude, it's gnarly. So anyway, big V eight noises. There it is. And if you like the show, please rate it on iTunes and leave us a comment. You are done. That was I was like nah, I was like mid thrust. All right, sorry. Uh, any other appeals? Appeals. 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 Wow, that was that was almost lawyerish. Yeah, the shoe fits. Yeah, Quentin, haven't seen you in a while. We we put a show out last week, but it was like a faker because we were obviously it takes us like a week to get these shows out from the time we record it to the time it goes up. I don't know. Is it obvious? I don't know. I feel like it would be like. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, maybe no. not. No. Maybe it's just because we see how the magic happens. <laughs> we're in it. Yep, and you went to Texas. Yep. Well, you went to Florida. Oh, Drove like an idiot to Florida. Six thousand miles in a car. The bright side is we did pick up a motorcycle in the process. So the bright side is that you got to be with Melanie for that whole time. We did a lot of bonding. <laughs> we got a lot of bonding. I'm surprised neither of us was killed in our sleep. <laughs> knife, knife in the heart. Exactly. All right. Well, I'm glad that worked out. You got your uh, her Street Fighter. Yeah. And so uh, a lot. Oh, I really. 
I kind of am dreading the the twinsy Street Fighter shot. I'm waiting for the... You're going to have to curate the shit out of that shot. It's going to be really impressive. We are going to go to so many thrift stores looking for matching outfits. <laughs> Halloween, I'm really looking forward to. Oh, God. I think it just... I think it's just going to be good. I think it, a Christmas card is going to be what, epic. What's really strange is that I still have a Street Fighter sitting on a bench in my shop. We could so be, I can be... It could be a threesome. We could be triplets, right? Oh, I like that you went triplets. I went threesome. Yeah, That's I'm going to say triplets because I didn't want to go there, right? Whatever, suburban. <laughs> you know, it's all the same. Gay, straight, it doesn't matter. So this is why we shouldn't drink this much Mountain Dew before a show. <laughs> Just gonna throw that out there. But yeah, we went to Austin, we did the GP. Also got to ride the Modus MST and MSTR. Uh, What's the difference? Like 15 horsepower. Really? Uh, so so the MSTR has a different, basically a different head. It revs about an extra thousand RPMs. Honestly, like, that is such a burly motor in its base form i yeah. i don't know why you want the r version other than screaming eagle america frappuccino because um just just i wasn't and we talked before the show what we wanted to talk about and this wasn't one of the things so i'll go through it quick but i mean when you can get the rear wheel loose just cracking the throttle straight up and down like you don't need more power you don't need more torque and like that thing just brings up the front wheel so easy it, that motor is a beast. And for people that don't know, it is a V4 pushrod engine. They originally were going to do... half a V8. It's, it's basically it's, a, a half of a small block Chevy engine. And it's got Chevy parts. It's got, I shouldn't say Chevy. It's got GM parts in yeah. it. You can find some GM parts it, in there. It was not Pratt and Whitney. Pratt and yeah, Miller. Yeah, yeah Pratt, Pratt and Miller. Miller. Pratt and Miller. Which is a, Pratt and Whitney is the airplane. Right. All right. Back to the Modus. So the Modus, which uh, let's... Let, you might have to explain this to some people. Because to be fair, I feel like the uh, Lee and Brian, the two founders, did a really good job marketing the project before it started. And then they got the bikes done and they're delivering bikes. They delivered, I think, almost like 200 bikes now. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, somewhere between I did 100, not know they were in production. between 100 and 200. So Look. they have not done a good job since of kind of saying, I, hey, I think, we're here. We're, we're ready. And I think that's kind of like what, what's happening now. Like they invited us to come ride the bike and they had like 25 other people. They're just doing like a small kind of gorilla thing. And I think they're going from location to location doing that to try and get the word out again. But um, it's been a bike that, you know, we've been following the project since it started. So it's been about five years now. And I'm, I'm actually surprised it's taken us this long to get on the bike because we, we've been talking to them so much about doing it and just never worked into the schedule. So super stoked to get on it. It's, um, it's a weird bike. Like when you look at the project, so it's an American uh, motorcycle effort to build this sport tour. And it's a very like, it's, I feel like it's geared towards guys. And I'm going to say guys because they haven't sold a bike to a woman yet, which I think is, uh, is also interesting. Um, but I think it's built towards motorcyclists who like to get their hands dirty, that are mechanically inclined. Like the, 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 the torque spec for the axles is put right onto the bolt so like you know what you need like there's like just very forward thinking things like that like the, the monster 1200s have the torque specs on they? there it's about lowers on the olens yeah about freaking because they were cracking and then they had to get recalls <laughs> <laughs> sorry but sorry. but it's just anyway, smart it's yeah. just smart i don't know yeah. why everybody does that the oil filter is an oil filter you can get from any napa auto parts and, and the engine is exposed so the, it's a sport tour and there's not too many sport tourings kind of died off over the past decade it went to adventure touring and this right? and this since i just i also did the FJR launch recently. Like, I feel like we should do a sport terrain show and talk about this. Yeah, at some sure. Point. So, I'd, I'd love to. So something to come. I'll zip it. But it's a it's of note there. They're trying to sport touring thing. It, they a, elected to to do this, and instead of making a freaking super bike, they made a sport tour, which kind of makes sense, right? And 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 beyond that, it's like a 
it's not a sport tour that's got a lot of electronic gizmos and bells. Like the dash is a very clever LCD unit and you can actually, the entire shop manual is built into the bike. So if like you wanted to take the bike apart, like on the side of the road, you totally could. <laughs> but beyond, like that. yeah, it's cool. The and, gearhead. But right, again, gearhead. towards that gearhead kind of guy. But like there's no traction control. There's no ABS. There's no electronic suspension. There's no adjustable electronic windscreen nonsense. There's no like, hey, the built-in Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, satellite radio. None of that. It's a real, I don't want to say bare bones. I don't want to say rudimentary. I want to say simple. Simple. Simple is a good word. Occam's razor, man. The simplest solution to the problem is usually the best. Elegant solution. Like would be like, like, like engineers are all about the elegant solution. Like it's just a very refined machine. Yeah. Uh, I felt it was refined. I felt in, in its, in its ethos, I would say it's very refined. Like okay. it's very, it's a very raw machine when you get up to it. And, and so I'm very up in my, my grill right now. Cause a lot of these words are very loaded. Like whenever you read something from a journalist that says raw, that means it's half baked, you know? And I don't yeah. mean it in that sense. It's not like, Oh, this bike needs to be, you no, know, you mean the oven raw like longer. Eddie Murphy raw. Like, yeah, I'm going to about to cuss at you and be all up in you and you're going to laugh. Well, like just, just looking from this perspective, like, like any bike that can break the, the rear wheel loose with a crack of the throttle when you're straight up and down that doesn't have traction control. That's of no, you know, this is a bike like, you're going to get yourself in serious trouble if that's you don't like know what you're doing. That's like my Street Fighter. Our Street Fighter. 1098 Street Fighter was absolutely right. that bike. You don't, you have to respect it. It will put you on your ear because it is gnarly all of a sudden, brat, and you're, and you're breaking loose for and that, sure. And that was something I was actually thinking about today because we have a track day Monday. And I'm going to take my Street Fighter out and I haven't really done a track day on my Street Fighter before. And I'm like, sitting going like, yeah, I'm going to have to be, I'm going to have to reprogram that's a, that's my brain because yeah, true. coming out of the corner or, and getting on the, um, especially coming on the front straight of PIR where the, you go across the uh, the drag strip and the, the traction can change when you do that. Mm-hmm. You have to be mindful because like that could be, I could be on my ass pretty quick with that. And it's, I feel it's the same way with the Modus. Like if you're not respecting this machine, uh, you're going to end up on your ass pretty quick. So you, did you both get to ride it? We did, did. But like not simultaneously, you both rode separate machines. Separate machines. Oh, that's cool. Okay. And we got to swap, swap between the MST, which makes 165 horsepower, and the MSTR, which makes 180 horsepower. Hmm. So heavy, not bad, not bad. Didn't feel heavy. No. Do they have I, a quoted like wet or dry weight? So yeah, it weighs 500 pounds dry, 560 I think wet. Yeah. So it, it's, it's it's on a the, substantial tour. It's on the lighter side of some of the tours, but it's still it's still a heavy bike. But it's definitely a capital S sport tour, lowercase t. You know, uh, it's geared around like going fast on a bike and the the, the r version has uh bst wheels almost own suspension uh different i mean you can get it with different handlebar positions but it comes i think the base or the, the stock version of it comes with a more sportier and this the handlebar. that lower version is 30 35 000. yeah i want to say it's like 30 ish yeah which in the beginning that was really shocking but now if you look at a bunch of these bikes whether it be even a, a well outfitted harleys well outfitted bmws you're you're not too far away right so that if you're if you're getting a k bike if you're getting like a k1600 you're in that ballpark once you get some the premium of these, packages and all that stuff the exclusive right? package quinn oh. it's called the exclusive oh. package well the, the premium ones are the ones that show up in kelly blue brooks so <laughs> i'm used to seeing that but but like and it's the same thing with like you know you get a uh if you look at like the the, the higher end harley davidson's you start getting into that that same stratosphere so i don't really fault them on the price and they're, they're hand built they're hand built in the old barber museum yep which is downtown birmingham, birmingham da- downtown Alabama. birmingham and, you know, they got a small team and they're, they're looking for small production numbers and they're not trying to be 
the next great big thing. They're just, they're a boutique brand, you know? So I, there's a part of me that's like, it is what it is. The, the thing that's interesting for me, like the V4, longitudinal V4, it's, it's like, I was trying to describe it like as a goozy with balls. Cause it's got that same kind of like, you know, you crack the throttle and the bike kind of lurches to the side as the, the crankshaft spools up and it makes for a very interesting handling characteristic, but it's got so much grunt and so much power. And the chassis is really quite good to, to handle that power and, and give you a, a good it's feedback. It's a chromoly tube frame. Yeah. And the engine is about 1600 CC, something like that. 1650. Yeah. That's a large, that's a big jug. It's a big jug, but you know, push rod engines are very yeah. economical with their size, like sure. like cubic size of the engine versus horsepower. Um, it's low RPM relative. It is. It is. I mean, I think I think the R max is at like just under nine thousand RPM, which is spinning for something like that. And it's also the crank isn't a. It's not like a one eighty or three sixty degree. It's like a Desmos Adichie V four where it's offset crank pins just a little bit, something like that. So it has a very interesting. Um, lope to it compared to say a honda vfr uh, v4 yeah it's um it's very unique like we were i was talking to to lee Kahn, one of the founders about it and you know asking them how the the program was going and you know the thing of note was when you know people try and come back and try and say what it's like they have a hard time being like oh it's like a this it's like a nope, it's like its own thing it's 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 kind of its own thing there's nothing really else out there like on the market that's very analogous you know i could i could i could probably sit here and lift off like five bikes like oh it handles like an fjr oh it's comfortable like a uh ducati multi st or whatever yeah um it's got power like you know a freight train it's yeah sure it's it's a lot of different things and then i think that 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 plays to their strength because then that means that they're not following someone else's demographic or, or going down someone else's path they're kind of striking out on their own i think people have to decide whether or not that bike incurs the same sort of product lust that other bikes do for them uh i think the design's very polarizing and you know i think it's a testament that brian was able to design you know the chassis and design the fairings and design you know the whole the whole gamut of it coming from one person is pretty impressive the the downside to that though of course is like jack of all trades master of none it kind of comes into it where it's like I think there's there's things that he did really really well that are are really smart and there's others where you're like well obviously that's not your strong suit like what what would be I don't like the, I mean the, I think the the look of the bike is tough I think like it grows on me it's growing on me every time I see it but do I sit there and go like man that's a really good looking yeah, bike not I very, really wish that was I don't in my have garage. much lust for it but I I don't mind it I actually like the fact that it's and it goes to the gearhead side is it's naked on the bottom. So you see yeah. the engine. Oh, actually, that's critical. And he did, he did a pretty good job of that, right? But it's no Britain, right? That's no. the thing. Yeah, and that's the thing. And But that's that's it's almost an unfair comparison in a way. No, uh, but dude, it's tough to make that. It's tough to make half-fairing motorcycles. It's weird, but it is. And mm -hmm. the certain bikes work. Uh, the BMW, the original 1100S or whatever, it's a R1000S or R1100S back when they had pipes up the tail like a like a 916, it was the early 2000s. That, that actually did a really good job of making half-fairing bike. The Briton was unreal good. That was like the ultimate. Low frontal area, that was the idea there, just keeping the frontal area as small as possible, uh, encapsulating the rider and, you know, trying to keep the air going over just the area that's big. So I like that idea. And then just showing off the, the engine. Uh, uh, 900 SSCRs, the half-fairing Ducatis from the early 90s, 
gorgeous bikes, right? It, I like the big slab-sided stuff too, but it's neat to be able to see the engine. There's something just visceral about that. I like it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. The only thing I would say to that is like there's, like the way they show off the engine, I like a lot. The way the exhaust pipes are routed, I don't. Like there's just things like yeah, I can pick out like oh Brian, I like what you, I really like what you did there. And there's other spots where I go like hmm, that that one's a miss for me. Yeah, no, the exhaust is a tough one on the V4s. The the pipes, the headers end up being very small. Yeah, and they look really strange. That's all what it wimpy. is. That's what it is. It and looks they're, really they're wimpy, spindly little. Yeah. And the same goes for the um, most of the Honda V4s. And they they go back and they hit these can and the and there's the transfer from the pipe the can doesn't look right and then their initial motai motitis they were they had like they put on like the worst cans in the world two brothers exhaust mufflers oh, are the that, ugliest mo motorcycle that's patriotic of you oh i hate them i've always hated them unless they're the early tbr which had proper like you know yoshimura style ends to be to be fair i feel like that was a really smart move from from them because uh because i think they came out of two with uh, two brothers and it was like because I think they want to kind of keep it American uh -huh. and I think they got a lot of pushback like so $30,000 bike and you're going to put squid bake exhaust on it <laughs> and now it's like a crop of it of like, course and you're like spot on Bevan because it looks good and you know they, it's and right you know those Slovenians are going to make a good exhaust yes, exactly. you can't go wrong and, and then tune the crap out of it and, and that's the smart thing like the stuff they didn't design they partner with some of the best people in the world yeah. about so there's some cool stuff there uh, it's definitely worth a look uh, I, I'm it was interesting talking to them that they built that chassis with, with a lot of different ideas in mind. So it's a very modular design in that way. So we could see some interesting projects, a street fighter. I think it's like, they're just begging for of it. Of course. Sure. And that would be epic. You, you make a sick looking street fighter, like something just mean and dirty. I would get behind that real quick because that would just be a beast. Especially if it got closer to a price point of 20 grand instead of 30. Yeah. Tough, I know, but if they yeah. get that, then that will be maybe where they might. I don't understand what the business model will be like. I'd love to see how the numbers crunch out. It's like, what the heck do you have to do? To how many of these things are you going to have to sell I'd be to curious. make a profit? I think, um, yeah, I'd be curious because it's... And when do you saturate the market that uh, for people that want a $30,000 bike because it's American? Yeah. And then when do you grow it to, to get enough people to say, I want a $30,000 bike just because it's a V4? And that's the right. thing, like the way the impression I got was like they're doing two, two to three bikes a week right now off the assembly line. And is that right? That doesn't. Yeah, that's right. I would love to build a bike like that on assembly line. I think that would be the coolest. Thing. I've always thought about that. Well, when I, I say assembly line, I mean, it's just a lift. I know that, but I'd love that. So going to Italy and, and being in Ducati so many times, seven years in a row, I'd go and watch, we'd always go and check out the line. You know, we, we'd go for training. So this would be service training. You're learning the new bikes and... You'd go in, you'd you'd learn all the new stuff, and every once in a while we'd we'd just pop out into the production line. I always thought that would be the most ultimate experience for a gearhead, is to be part of the production, to assemble, and they're, they're sub assemblies, so it's not like you're machining the cylinder heads, right? You're just putting it together. I think that would well, be the coolest story. I think that's especially true of Ducati, where like the bike just comes in them in pieces and they're just kind and of you bolted together, right? Putting a couple bolts together and calling it done. Sure, but it, it, which here, I just I just totally discredited. All the work that they're doing in no. Borgo Panigale yeah, right it's, now, you, and you shouldn't. And uh, no. but at the same time, it isn't a, like what well, a lot of people. It isn't like it was 15 years ago, even right when they really were hand assembled every single thing. There's they're getting away from a lot of that. And you, when you go into the factory, you're surprised at how few pieces are truly made there. But the pieces that are made there 
our heart and soul, like the crankshafts and the cams and all the machining that gets done. It's really neat to see well, that. The, if I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding with Ducati was the engine is pretty much made there and then everything else mm. kind of shows up. Yeah, yeah, but even then it's sub-assembly. So the cylinder heads are not, they're not assembled there. They're assembled at another place. Oh, okay. But the crankshafts are made there. Okay. And I mean, right, the, is there a foundry for the crankcase shafts? No. But well, back I mean, in the day gotta, there was, yeah. right? They're sand casting some of the stuff. So it would be interesting to find out. Like what, how much, like when, when did the changes happen to Ducati where they had to say, Hey, this doesn't make sense to try and do this in this place. Let's do the sub-assemblies and the Italian government needs to make sure that there's enough places for people to work. So they say, Hey, we're going to have, um, this gentleman start up this company over on this side of Motor Valley. Cause that's what they call the whole area where, uh, Bologna is, is Motor Valley. And then, you know, it starts making it more. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of that going on in there because, um, Shoot, who's the company? That, oh, the company that just took over Marzocchi. Yeah. Uh, I'm blanking on their name, but their claim to fame is that they make a lot of hard parts for Ducati and sure. other brands. Sure. That's their that's their game. And yeah. I, I want to say engine parts, actually, now that I think yeah, about it. I bet. And that and that's always been Ducati's thing is they're, they're tapping into other Bologna-based companies or, or Italian-based companies. so many because of the Ferrari, really. A, a lot of it is trickled down from Ferrari. So on the Modus side, having that in the U.S., that would be a really cool thing to see. What do they get done there? What, where does, where do the sub assemblies get built? If, if like from the engine, is it just every single one assembled there? I'd love to know. And uh, then I I'd think, love the, to do I think it. the engines come from Pratt and Miller. Yeah. So the, the that block shows up, and sure. then they're the long block assembled basically, yeah. and then they build a bike around it. Because I think I think too that's just what they're geared up to do. Pratt and Miller can crank out you know probably thirty engines, no big deal. Sure. You know, put it on a pallet, ship it out. Yep. So that was that was our start to our Austin weekend to bring things back. Uh, we started off the week riding the Modus and then obviously got into the GP weekend and uh, the Grand Prix of the Americas at the Circuit of the Americas. As soon as Rossi crashed out, I was like, eh, right. Well, okay. So that's this is what we wanted to talk about, right? So like, you know, we're just like 40 minutes into the show yep. or 30 minutes into the show. So that's no big deal, but sure. we'll get to actually what we wanted to talk about today. You know, it, it, it's, it's so interesting for me. Actually, I had a scooter at the track. I don't usually get a scooter. Usually photographers get a scooter, Yep. but um, I had a inside person on that, on that mm -hmm. operation, get me a scooter and I totally ran someone over. <laughs> really? So like there's, if, if, if there's a listener out there who I totally ran over, I apologize. Thank you for not suing me but the reason i ran them over is because <laughs> they're all like there's like just like 200 people in the paddock i can totally hear that are you psycho that's so gross when you do that he's rubbing his chest again ladies and gentlemen <laughs> keep your chest hairs down sir <laughs> oh, so, uh, this is why we can't do a video podcast <laughs> this is why you're no. this is why we can't have nice things sorry um what was i talking about I'm nearly killing someone but yeah, the the they, they try and limit the crowd in the paddock because that's why it's so hard to get a paddock pass. But somehow these like Rossi fans, I mean, obviously I'm trying to think like how I want to characterize Rossi fans. <laughs> there's there's a joke amongst MotoGP journalists that Rossi fans aren't real MotoGP fans. They are something else hmm. and that they don't care about the sport. They just have this weird man crush on a certain Italian uh, who has two dogs and a cat. A uh, cute cat, by the way. And cute dogs, but really yeah, cute little kitty. Yeah, sure. So, but it was interesting to me because like Rossi, this is the joke. Rossi makes more money like net than MotoGP does. <laughs> and like, if you just looked at like. I never really thought about that. That's think awesome. About, start thinking about, about, about this money dynamic because yeah, this yeah, is really, yeah. really interesting. And you start like, if you just look at like what they take in gross, I think, I think the rumors that GP gross is like 200 million. Rossi gross is like 40 million. 
So your top star is still making like close to 25% of what the series as a whole is making like for the organizer. That should, that should tell you something. He you should know. tell you how awesome Rossi is. Well, you know, and like give him full credit, <laughs> man. You know, because like he is a fan's rider and I, and, I, and I appreciate that. But it's just really interesting when I'm in the paddock and I'm riding this scooter and like you'll just see like these throngs of people just like glomming around to wherever they think Rossi is. And so like they are, there was literally fans, 30, 40 people deep from the Yamaha pit box exits, like where they come out from their pit box into the paddock. And you just want to look, I'm like, you're th- there's like 30 people in front of you and you've got like your like sign that you want Rossi to, to sign or whatever. You, I, you know, your, I've never seen photo. this. I've never visual. I've been to a lot of GPs and I've been inside of it. I've never actually watched this. Is this something that has just no. cropped up? No. This in the U S has this it way. just cropped up. This has always been this way. I will. I remember, I'll tell you the story I have on that is back in. Well, can I finish my story first? Yeah, sure. I just, want to, I just want to tell you how I nearly killed someone. Oh, sorry. I forgot that that was like, I was like, I couldn't remember what story. All right. So there's the throngs of throngs of, of people. Sorry. Rossi friends. Yeah. So, so it's like 30 people deep and you got like, like these guys like, Hey, Rossi signed my poster. And you're like, dude, there's like 40, 30 people in front of you. Like he can't hear you. He can't see you. You're not getting shit signed. So like this, this dude is just back, you know, 50 feet away from, from where Rossi could ever possibly be just kind of milling around and like, you know, I'm like trying to get the scooter. Like they literally took up the entire width of the paddock. They, they, they stopped all traffic. And so I'm like literally weaving in between people with the scooter, which was a horrible idea. And I should have just honked my horn and gotten through. So I like, kind of like clipped the guy at the back of this guy's foot and I said, sorry, and like moved on with my life. Oh, so you didn't really, I didn't really, I, that was uh, a little bit of a little hyperbole. journalistic, uh, yeah, sure. license there. Um, but but it was just like it just struck me like like this guy he's just he's just like he's just so he's got such a hard on for Valentina that like oh you know he's right there he's only like 40 people in between me and him like oh please just have my child that like he wasn't paying attention to what was going on around him and and that's how like I think I can think of like a few people who are friends of mine that probably listen to the show that are such fucking diehard Rossi fans that it just makes me <laughs> sick. Like I'm talking, they have every single Rossi helmet, anything you put a f- <laughs> yellow 46 on, they will buy. They probably have like Valentino Rossi branded enemas that they just like, uh, they can't wait to go home and just, <laughs> mm, just go to town on themselves with. Um, I know a one person that has, I think every Rossi helmet, like seriously, literally, which is a big deal. No, no. And they, he's a, he's in the motorcycle industry. I don't, I don't, he never has struck me as a, as an ardent Rossi fan. He just likes the helmets. I, I don't know. I'd actually have to talk with him about it. I just know that his wall like he has them up on the one that's really well done. It's very cool, and it, I get it because he because of the art on all these helmets is so epic. I get right? it too. Like an Aldo Drew does make great helmets, and like if you're gonna like, like people collect Pokemon, people collect what were those little stuffed animals? The Beanie Babies. Beanie Babies. People collect the stupidest things. Like if you're gonna collect like Rossi helmets, like I'm like that's a that's better than a Beanie Baby. Congratulations. I don't know, man. Those helmets are like seven hundred dollars each. They're expensive. Each. You're dropping some coin. That's a lot of money in helmets, right? It's a lot of money in helmets that you're not wearing. But like, I get it. Like, that's your collector thing. Like, like go yeah. back to like people have weird little things and weird little OCD yep. things, and it's sure. like I have to have every single one. They have to be in mint condition. Okay, I get it. You're kind of a weirdo, but I get it. But some of these fans, man, I think, and this is what we say. Like, this is the joke. Like, you know, this is what I think takes them from just being like really ardent MotoGP fans and having like a rider that they really care about to going into something else. And like, that's what I want to talk to you about. Like when 
fandom turns to fanaticism mm-hmm. because we definitely see that in the motorcycle industry in a lot, lot of different ways. Like we see it with Valentino Rossi as a rider. And I think we can see it to some extent for like Nikki Hayden fans in the U S sure. like, like one of the things I thought was really interesting was this was the first year where I didn't see a Danny Pedrosa sucks shirt, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, sure. and I, and I, and just a quick aside, Danny Pedrosa was my hero of the, of the GP. I, I um, he did good. He, I you know, admit. Like, I think I think if I ever run into someone that talks shit about Danny Pedrosa, I'm just gonna shut that conversation down. And just be like Austin 2016, because I think you saw the truest color of his character, and contrast that with Argentina, where I think we saw some of the truest colors of Ianone and Davi's character. Uh, Why? What? What happened with Ianone and Davi? I, I don't remember. Oh, so, okay. Other than the crash, the crash, the sure. crash. So, so what happened afterwards? That was just a contrast. A contrast in their in their character. Like, you know, obviously Andrea, Andrea. That's going to really help people. Ianone went into the corner way too hot. Takes out Davizioso, and the difference was obviously like Davizioso was kind of giving him the like you know the vaffanculo as they're like sliding down the pavement. But Davi's first instinct was to grab the bike, pick it up. And run it across the finish line, which for me, like, it's like right up there with Rudy. Like, whenever I oh, see no, someone, dude, that was an amazing thing. Every time I see someone run a yep. bike across the finish line, like, I cry a little bit. I cry like a little bitch because I think, like, that's that's it's racing. Such true passion for yeah. everything. Yeah. It's your crew. You're doing it for everybody. And you're, it's you're just, just like a selfless, and you are wearing yourself the F out. It's really difficult. You've just been racing for however long and you are going to sprint with a motorcycle. I don't care how light and awesome it is. It's not easy to do that. That kind of thing just like it just tugs on you. And so like when Davi did it, I'm just sitting there going like, you know, good on you, man. And and it's smart, too, because he's picked up a couple points out of the effort. That was the most amazing thing. And that's I was cheering. I was like, good, do it. Get it. And then because you're watching a couple people go by, I'm like, maybe even if a couple points, because it it can all come down. That's the championship. And contrast that with Andrea Inone, who sat down on the chair and, and had a little, you know, temper tantrum about it a bit of a cry but yeah i think i think i think that showed a tremendous amount of insight into those two writers character and i and i will give full disclosure i'm a huge davi fan i am not a fan of andrea Yannone. i'm just I'm just not i never liked him when he was in moto 2 i haven't really seen anything to redeem him in in moto gp there's moments of brilliance as a writer but he is one of those guys that gets such a red mist you know, and the, the fog of war just clouds his judgment. I, th- time I thought he and was doing again. okay. I thought he was doing okay until the, just this first couple of races this year. It's like, oh, because, right? There was a while there. He was all right. And I was like, okay, he's aging. He's getting a little, he's, he's a little bit more level headed. And now I, I will, I will just say he needs to mature. Yeah. And take that as you will. And the same went for, uh, frankly, for Marquez in the beginning. I thought he was going to do what Iannone has done because he was he was like that in Moto2, right? He so was, watching him. He was, but I think at the same time, there was also you could see you could see the, the talent at play. Like, I'm not going to say Andre Iannone is not talented. He's very, very talented. But I think... I think Marquez wins races because of his talent. I think Iannone wins or gains places on his willingness to take risks. Sheer aggression. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and there's a difference. There's It's subtle, but there is a difference. But I want to get back, I want to get back to fanatics because, because we, we, so we talked a little bit like Rossi fanatics, but there's like, there's other fanatics. So our last show was about Eric Buell, which is just like, poking a beehive of of fanatics who who see eric buell and eric buell racing and buell motorcycles as being able to do no wrong we saw that in the feedback that we got on the show in the comments section and obviously on the forums for for the buell motorcycles which was really funny because like had about half a dozen former ebr employees 
send me emails and be like spot on Bevan. Like, thank you for telling that story. And one of the one of the starts for us one time, we tried that Buell show multiple times and we just could never quite cover all the things we wanted to cover. And we just never coalesced it. But one of the sparks was we went to a gun store right. locally. Right. And, um, I forget what the situation was. We, we talked to the 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 sales guy who was like a total gun freak and a but, fanatic and fanatic, but knew his stuff. Yep, but really it, good at what he did. But for me, it was like just because because you and our friend AJ were were looking at stuff, and I'm kind of just sitting there watching. But for me, it was like like you're just like a Buell guy, and I don't mean that like in a pejorative like shady sort of way. But just like yep. like you were super you were super focused on this thing. This is your jam. And he yeah. also turned out to be a motorcyclist, which I thought was really funny. I, I think he might have said he had a Buell. Or, I think he said, I do think yeah. he said he had a yeah, Buell. I'm pretty yeah. sure of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just like, it was just kind of like, eh. but, but we see that too, like, like with Ducatis, we see these, these rampant kind of fanatics that come out of like, we call them Ducatisti. And, you know, I think it's a fair criticism of you and I to say that we're Ducatisti. I've got three Ducatis in my garage right now. Yeah. Well, it was one of the things that somebody was like, oh, those guys are Ducati fans. I was like, yep. Yep, I'll own that. Not the like word. if you're gonna say that as a trying to be a criticizer, saying, "Oh, they don't like Buell because they like Ducati." That's there's a little bit of truth in that because I I hold a lot of other brands up to the level of brands that do well, whether it be in racing. So you've got umpteen time world champion Ducati that makes really good V twins. You're gonna have to come with your A game to beat Ducati at making a V twin. Honda did it. But even they couldn't make it work in the showrooms, and they stopped making their V-Twin after a while. Which is a shame. I love the RC. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. But Honda could do it. Suzuki tried and failed miserably. And then you got Buell just barely, just barely. And then that that was a frustrating thing because that was another show. One of the other ones you wanted to say, and I, and I think this is really critical, is we want the American brand to be exceptional. Well, we said that. We said that in the last right? show. Did, yeah. we? Did yeah. we? I don't I don't know if it was really yeah. truly emphatic enough, but that's a big deal. And I I don't think it was ever exceptional. It was always just trying too hard. Right. So those fans though, they see it as exceptional. It's like, oh my gosh, do no wrong. Well, it's absolute. A cool it's a cool idea. You gotta I think I think to be and this is this would be my my unfair criticism. If you have to, if you're a hardcore hardcore Buell fan you have to have had a fairly sizable gulp of Kool-Aid just because I think there's too many glaring problems and too many glaring issues for a, a rational person to yeah. be like, oh yeah, that's really, really good. It's like, like, cause I feel like we covered that in a show. Like there's, there's some good stuff there and there's, there's some, and it's, and it's totally okay to want that to succeed because I want it to succeed too. But like, you can't take just the good. You have to take the bad with it. And, and, yeah, I think we ended our show actually saying like that's the American story. Like it's not all good, it's not all bad. There's good and bad mixed in, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but but I can look at that too with like 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 these crazy Ducati owners that get like the matching helmet, the matching jacket, the matching <laughs> bandana. They got like you know four of the latest super bikes in their garage, and you know they 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 say ciao to each other and like stupid other Italian phrases. Like I'm thinking <laughs> of like one person right now where it's just like, dude, you are the whitest Irish guy I know. Yeah. Like you don't know Italian. You don't you only know like Ducati Italian. We're like, ciao, amici. Andiamo. Cafe racer. I'm a Luigi. I'm gonna win. And you're like, hey buddy. Yeah. Just tone, take, tone it down. Like, you're tone not it down a, a couple notches. You're not Italian. You're not you're not anything but American right now. Um twenty years of watching Ducati and that it's been twenty years now of watching this. And it and you've the first ten was in Los Angeles, really. Uh 
So I, I've been around it so long, I'm desensitized to that. And I can't, I, I can't blame them. I understand that they're into it. But it's when you're so into it that you can't recognize that there are other brands that are awesome as well. Right, that and that goes for all the brands, right? If you're gonna, just gonna drink the Kool Aid, that's like Buell is the best motorcycle. Period. There's nothing that comes close to it. It's like you are an idiot. Same goes if you're Ducati and you can't recognize that Hondas make good motorcycles and Suzuki and Kawasaki has made good. There's parts and pieces of all of them. And that that to me is frustrating. Like I'm a motorcycle enthusiast way the fuck before I'm a Ducatisti, like way before. And that is a frustrating thing to be like parked in that spot of, oh yeah, he's been a Ducati guy for so long, but I am going to rate a lot of other machines by <laughs> how they perform against the Ducatis. That's sure. your, that's your benchmark. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I don't, I don't think Ducati for me is the benchmark. I think, I don't know. I, I feel I ride too many other bikes I to, say it's to make benchmark. that my, it's just my zero point your reference you point yeah it's a zero yeah point. That, that's how i mean it i don't yeah. mean like like this is the high water mark yeah, and you i'm not succeed saying it, but like, that any one of the ducatis is the best it's just where what i spent the most time on when i'm around on certain levels right am i gonna rate all adventure bikes on a multi-strata no because it doesn't that's a street bike adventure bike right so until ducati can show that it this new Enduro comes out and can best a, a GS. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. It's like an 1199. Yeah, you know what? Until they consistently can win races, uh, I can't call that the best superbike, but it does a good job. Sure, right? So from a twin standpoint, it's different than a four. I I don't know. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's more of a zero point than it is a benchmark. Fair enough, fair enough. The thing that I found interesting, this is and this is, I think, the the common denominator across like, all of motorcycling's fanatics and what and what makes them different from fans, because I'd say you and I are Ducati fans. Yeah, yeah. You sure. know, we 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 like our Ducatis, yep. but the difference is, is like I can really appreciate a great Honda. I can really appreciate an Aprilia RSV4. I can even find things that I like in Eric Buell Racing. You know, you have to have that open mind. Whereas I think the fanatics are just like the it's such a narrow thing. Like, oh, how you're, you're a Ducatisti. Don't talk to me about MV Augusta. Yeah, right. Don't talk to me about Aprilia. I'm just, yeah, sure. I just want to ride my, my 1199 Panagalis. Yeah. But, but I think that speaks to a larger thing that we see in society right now. Like this is, this is the Fox News of of our of our yeah. of our industry. This is the MSNBC of our industry where we live in a time when people seek out the news that agrees with them or seek seek out the information that confirms their bias rather than exposing themselves to the things that maybe makes them uncomfortable and maybe challenges the beliefs that they have. And I look at that, like I look at right into the comments section from these Buell people on their, on their stupid forum where they say like, Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't listen more than 20 minutes in these idiots. And you're like, well, you know, if you actually listen to the whole show, I think you would have found yeah, the, uh, they, the they latter segments very uh, interesting to you because we talk about all the things that we like about Buell and we gave, I thought we gave a very fair treatment, but because you couldn't handle someone disagreeing so with weak. something. So weak. It yeah. is, it's, it's, I don't know if it's weak. It's weak. I don't know if I agree with that, but it's just. <sighs> if you can't listen to the show that's, that is criticizing something that you hold if somebody made a show and talking about all the bullshit Ducati, you'd have to listen to the whole thing. You have to. If you can't, then you're weak, right? You're weak. That's a weakness. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Not the words I would use. Let's let's leave it at that. But I but I agree with what the sentiment that you're saying. And I thought it was really interesting. We had a Facebook guy 
comment he's like hey i'm a buell owner you know didn't agree with some of the stuff you said but found it really interesting or like like, there's some stuff there like yeah you're kind of right and i don't really think about it that way but like for me i was like you're a fan you're a buell fan and that's what i love like i want to talk to fans all day long and we can sit there and have like good conversations about motorcycles and you can disagree with me and we can have a great argument over that and like and still like not get into like some sort of like heated I hate you conversation (laughs) because because like look at like look at a macro level what's going on in our in our country right now like especially with the the election coming up and obviously politics is a huge thing like look at a macro level what's going on with like hey I'm I'm a Republican and like all Democrats are socialists and you got like I'm a I'm a Democrat like Bernie Sanders feel the burn and you are all a bunch of fascists that want to build a wall and you're like you know what like if we start looking at everything in such black and white terms like Quite frankly, you're going to watch the whole thing fall apart, which is kind of feels like sometimes. Yeah. But it's the same. It's it's the same in motorcycling sometimes, where I feel like, especially with like hardcore Buell owners, where they've gone because I see it mostly in the Buell guys. Like I think Ducatisti do this too, and and I think Harley Davidson. Oh my god, I probably should I should probably have said Harley Davidson's footstep the most because they've become so polarized that it's now like their own thing. Like in my mind, like there's the motorcycle industry. And you have to like excise Harley Davidson from it like a cancer because Harley Davidson is not. <laughs> and I think like I think like most people like they, they make the joke like Harley Davidson's not a motorcycle company. They're they're an apparel company that happens to sell motorcycles. You're like bullshit. You look at their revenue breakdown. Most of that comes from motorcycles. Some of it comes from financing. Some of it comes from apparel. Yeah. But it, they, they make the bulk of their money selling a motorcycle. They're a motorcycle company. But that brand and that company is so different in the way that it interacts with its people. It's 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 almost like its own thing. Like, I don't think, um, like, Ducati was coming out with the X-Diavel. I don't think you're going to get a lot of Harley-Davidson riders with that bike. Because I think the, the reason Harley-Davidson riders ride those their bikes is because it's a Harley. And that they want to join the Harley Club. And to join the Harley Club, you have to have a Harley. You can't show up to the Harley Club on an XDL. You can't show. The, you can't join the Harley Club showing up on a Metric Cruiser. You can't join the Harley Club if you show up on Indian. Well, and those are different clubs. That's an interesting thing. And watching Indian try and get in on that, right? And I think Indian is the only brand that can legitimately go after Harley Davidson in that way because it's just as historic of a brand. It's actually older. It's they got that still that American thing. They got that classic cruiser style. They need to build that Indian community. They need to build that Indian brand. And they're trying to be something that will lure people in to be a club. But like I think that's what caught Honda and Yamaha and Suzuki and Kawasaki completely off guard because they thought they could come and be like, especially like in the eighties when fucking Harley Davidsons were just leaking oil and falling apart everywhere because AMC. What was the what AMF. was the AMF? Thank you. Uh, <laughs> like if you've ever bowled, you've, bowling, been, you've, you've, you've touched an AMF product. Um, like that, a bowling company owned Harley Davidson, but like, it was such like a bad time for them. Horrible. But like, so like the metric guys come on like, Oh, Hey, we'll just build a better cruise. We're going to build a cruise that doesn't leak oil. And it didn't really work because that's not the reason people are buying those bikes. That's why you can have like 1950s technology in a motorcycle and it doesn't really fucking matter because people don't care. As long as it's got the bar and shield on it, they're game. And I feel like it's the same thing with the Buell. It's like, you know, your bikes are totally just pants on head, worst idea. <laughs> and, and, and it doesn't really matter because it's got the little Pegasus yep. on it and you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same thing with Ducati as well. Like you put that little, you put a little espresso on that fucking V twin, yeah. and you're like, oh hey, I'll buy that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a scary thing. All of it's scary to me. But and I I think they're on the on the Rossi side though. 
getting away from the motor company stuff. Sure. The hero worship. Uh, so this is something that I saw firsthand was in the mid 2000s um, on the racing side. Um, we had a world superbike guy that was working with us at Graves. He was a South African guy. And he, he noted that he had come from world superbike where the rider was a tool to get the bike across the finish line. And in the U.S., the bike was the tool to get the rider. And, and the rider, the hero worship that had gone on in the U.S., which is why somebody like Matt Maladin would just stay in the AMA Superbike because why go anywhere else? I can make tons of money. Nobody, nobody liked him. There was no hero worship. But the riders were vaulted up on such a high, like, oh, well, I could, this bike could never win races without Matt Maladin, which was frankly BS. They could have just bought a better rider from Europe, got somebody else in, right? And th that at the time, there yeah. was the, the names were such a big deal. Yeah. The Bostroms were, were a big deal. The the Miguel Duhamel, they, and they stayed in the, for so long, probably a lot of the riders over long because these the hero worship of the names, right? And it'd come with NASCAR is the same way, man. So it, it, and I, I, saw, I see that as part of it. Not all of it. They, the fans weren't as ardent. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm making an... Uh, an analogy with with uh, Rossi there, but I, I think that's part of the culture, right? Is that you've got you vault these people up like there is no way that anybody else could be as fast as Rossi, and that's you know proven to be wrong over and over again. But it's still there's something more to it, and I don't know what that is. I think uh, man, there's a lot there. I don't know if I agree how much I agree with any of it. Um, I mean, with Maladin, Maladin not moving. I think I, th I think he was making like a million a year. I mean, that was the time when, like, AMA no, way, racing... Way more than that. Yeah. But. Well, there you go. I think that was the time when AMA racing was was paying better oh, yeah. than, Hugely. than other series, Be especially... Because the bike. riders were... And they weren't necessarily worth that. They well, were selling enough bikes to but, but justify it, right? Look at, like, your Suzuki, right? Your Suzuki. And you look at the paddock, and you go, like, Matt Milano on a Suzuki? That, may, that wins me championships. Yeah. Why would I mess with that formula? So I, I kind of get it, and I'm not going to fault, you know, Matt Maladin is probably the smartest person to come out of the he AMA was. paddock because sure. dude was making mad money. No, totally. Wasn't getting hurt. Nope. He's got a successful business in Australia right now, and every now and then gets to call us dirty words Yep. on the internet. I mean, like, the guy's winning yep, totally. every dimension right now. We'll agree with that completely. What was the other part? Well, Rossi. The thing with Rossi, though, and I think, and this is what I think a lot of racists don't get, is that it's entertainment. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was you and I that was having the conversation where, like, I feel like some of those races, Rossi could have just hammered them out <laughs> and just walked away. Especially in the early 2000s. Yeah, yes. and could have just walked uh, away with it and done, and done it a Lorenzo. But instead was like, nah, let's make this I'm gonna, interesting. I'm going to hang back. And then like the last five laps, I'm going to all of a sudden just drop the hammer and you're going to really see what I'm made of. And that was immensely entertaining. I remember being immensely entertained when Everybody I started watching. Was. Glued to it. Yeah. Otherwise, it had been, and I think he had watched it happen with McDoin. Right. McDoin did that for years in the 90s. And frankly, a lot of the industry was like bored with GP at the time. And this is 500 Grand Prix. It was wicked stuff, but it was always a, it was a McDoin show for Coincidentally, years kind years. of the height of super bike racing. Yeah. People started looking elsewhere for their two-wheeled entertainment. It's true. And, the, and World Superbike was wicked at the time. And this is, and this is why I think... I think Marquez kind of gets that to an extent. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I think, but I think, everybody, everybody's level is so much higher and more equal now yeah. that it's tougher to be like, okay, I'll qualify bad, but then I'll come through, right? 
that and I think I think MotoGP's gotten a little bit more sterilized. We talked about this, I think, in the Eslick show actually. GP's got more sterilized where like you can't you can't have that same kind of entertainment factor. Or not to say you can't, but I think the people around Mark like have different priorities. Like I can just tell you from like an insider's perspective, like I was really happy when when Marquez came to the series because I thought it breathed some life into it. And I think now I'm becoming less of a Marquez fan just because I'm seeing what that like Borg entity is doing inside the paddock. Because it's like there is the a Dorna Spanish Spanish no, Spanish no, Repsol Dorna no, now. No, 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 no. And I don't think people understand like that that to me is a bullshit argument. Like there is a little element of like home field advantage. And I think yeah, some okay. of that is just because people know each other and like they've yeah. been around each other longer. Yeah, sure. But I really don't think Dorna's out there to make a Spanish Grand Prix. That's not in their best interest. Spain's economy is going down the toilet bowl. They're looking at like South America, Latin America, Southeast Asia, China, India, sure. Russia, a little bit of the US. Like continental Europe is like the last thing on their mind. The Iberian Peninsula certainly isn't at the top priority. Um, what I'm talking about is like the power that comes from being the HRC Repsol Marquez and the people around him Borg entity because like, uh. like, like here's an example. Here's a great example. MotoGP photographers are no longer, this has been like a season or so now, are no longer to, they have to be on a certain side of the fence in pit lane, in park, sorry, park Verme. When the riders come in after the race, Huh. They used to be able to be kind of interspersed with the teams, but now they have to be on the opposite side of them because a certain racer likes to jump into the crowd with his team as part of his post-race celebration. I'll give you three guesses, but his name rhymes with Marquez, you know? <laughs> and it's like, there's just like a certain power of like, hey, we want this certain thing. Like, this, is, this isn't this is the way we like this. This is, this is you know, make this happen for us. And, the, and it gets fed in because I think in a way, Dorna realizes like, hey, this kid is probably our next Rossi. Like, we need another Rossi because when Rossi leaves, he's gonna, this is this is the legitimate worry of the journalists is when Rossi leaves, he's going to take all of his fanatics with him. And I don't think there's a lot of fans left over from that. You know, that those that's why there's I think- There's nobody going to fill the vacuum. And they're hoping that it just gets filled with like they're hoping Rossi fanatics will become Marquez fanatics. And I think the breakdown between those two writers is yep. like totally putting a kibosh on that. And it's probably got Dorna scared shitless. Hmm. But, you know, like that's that's what the fanaticism I see inside MotoGP becomes like an issue where it's like, you know, I don't really care if you're just this like guy who bleeds yellow. But I am a little worried when Rossi leaves in like probably another year, two years. Um, I'm not worried. He'll just I think he'll he's, just I think he's going to just be different. I think he's going to suck all that all those people out and then he's going to suck the money out of it. You know, when you see Rossi doing really well, like we see it in our site traffic. Yeah, sure. You know, I talked to some journalists about that and you're like, we'll just have to adapt. It'll just be an ad adaptation. It'll be different. You know, yeah, it'll be different. It'll be an adaptation. And and like, this isn't like we've had this thing. We haven't had this before or anything like that. Like it's, this isn't a new problem, but well, it is because this has been, it's, it's always ebb and flow. It'll be interesting to see where the tide goes to. Do you see, racers like Cal Crutchlow with fans that are that passionate. I think, I think, uh, I think Brits are Brit are Brit fans yeah. and, and the Irish are certainly Irish fans. Um, so it gets more nationalistic and it's the same with like Americans and Nikki Hayden and Americans with Ben Spees or Colin Edwards. But I think they're fans still. I think yeah, you know, not maybe, maybe there's a little fanaticism just because like they're very nationalistic about it, but it's not like Rossi level. It's not like, um, I'm trying to think of another GP rider that would have that level of it. And I just can't. But I think part of it, too, is like Rossi was one of the few riders that really got the whole like branding thing. I'm going to be making merchandise and I'm going to be doing my yep. my sponsorships. I'm not going to run a number one plate. It's going to be a 46. And that's a big deal. That's a huge when, deal. When Honda 
had to relent because they loved nothing more than to have that number one plate over and over and over. That was one of the many things that caused a, a bit of a, a, a kind of a separation between the two, between Rossi and Honda. And Honda was having to realize they were playing second fiddle to this dude, and that wasn't making anybody happy, right? And then they get their asses kicked for years by him on a Yamaha. Definitely hurt. <laughs> so watching that dynamic for me has always been very, I don't know if it's rewarding, but I like it because it's like that is true. The the back and forth of the riders and the and the and the and the tire manufacturers and the and the motorcycle manufacturers, it should be kind of an embroiled thing. And I like watching that. Like when when it was Lawson and Gardner and uh, Schwantz and Rainey. And I mean, that era, that was kind of the golden uh, era in the late 80s, early 90s, where you didn't know who was going to win. And there's never been anything like it since. And that, that, I don't know, were there that many fanatics? I think there were. I know a bunch of like Euros whose kids are named Kevin after Kevin Schwantz. <laughs> and that's a big deal, right? That like like they, there were some serious fanatics. And that's at the that thing. Time. Like someone asked me once, why is Kevin Schwantz considered a MotoGP legend? Like an official MotoGP legend. Like Dorna has a list of yeah, official sure. legends. Why is he why is he a legend? Because he only won one championship. And I'm like, because that's the reason why. What you just said is the reason why. It's yeah. not the number of championships, but it's how it resonated with the fans how and the he fanaticism. Did on track, what he looked he, like, how mm-hmm. he how he rode, the passion he rode with, obviously being on inferior equipment, and, and, and on and on and on. And that's an interesting thing. Whereas Rossi, I don't know, he 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 made it himself because he didn't have. To, he wasn't on the back foot like Schwantz was. He just had the style and the verve and the passion, and it came through, obviously. And it still does, even to this day. But watching last year, for me, was a bit disappointing. Like, I did not like, personally, the way he handled himself through all the bullshit, even though I definitely felt that it was everything was up against him. Like, the, the raw, personally, I thought the. The the Marquez Lorenzo thing was was legit, and I think really? he had a legitimate beef. Really, but wow. I don't think he handled himself well. I think wow. he he played himself out pretty bad. He should have just walked softly and carried the big stick and kept on going and not said a fucking word. So they, uh, there was a lot of respect lost from a lot of people. Like, oh, I I, right? I I I disagree everything you just said about Marquez and Lorenzo. But I agree with everything else. Yeah, but and and for me, like I lost a ton of respect for Rossi. I mean, I always knew like there was a little bit of a puppet master thing going on there and he likes to think that he runs that paddock and he does run that paddock. He does. And it's, and it was palpable. I was talking to a journalist friend of mine. We were talking about the post-race interview and how happy the riders were. And he was like, isn't that an interesting contrast from the pre-race or the pre-event post uh, press conference where everyone was on edge and it was super awkward. And like, who was missing from that, from that, you know, panel of riders that seems to always get under other people's skin and fanatics would say it's the Valentino Rossi mind games. But I would just say like, there's one person in the paddock who's trying to cause disruption. Like I I look at like legitimately, like there's a power play going on or not a power play, but there is a changing of the guard for sure on who is wheels control in that paddock. And it is shifting from Valentino Rossi. I make almost as much money as the series does to Mark Marquez, who's probably going to be, Rossi level on his like you know lifetime earnings if he plays his cards right and it's and and that's what I feel like is spilling over and like I don't think there is anything going on between Marquez and Lorenzo other than 
we don't like this guy. I don't think like either of them is colluding. I don't think there's anything nefarious going on, but I think they both have a unilateral like fuck Rossi. And I think that's where we see it. And I think that's what Rossi is handling, handling very poorly is this like post-career swan song. I'm not the man anymore. And maybe he should have retired earlier. So he went out on top because yeah. he's not going to go out on top. And I think obviously it's, it's, it's oh, unfair. It was, so, it was so close last year though. So but that's, and that's my point. I think that's, that was like his legitimate last chance at a championship because there was so much turmoil going on for his competitors and they were making mistakes yeah. and unforced errors. Like Rossi was the most consistent rider. He was not the fastest rider. He was the most consistent rider. Lorenzo was the fastest rider. Hands down. Marquez was struggling on the Honda. The Honda was a basket case yep. of power and they couldn't figure out how to and it the built power. into a fervor of this could be it. This could be it. And then those of us who are fans were like, this could be it. This could be it. And when it all went horribly wrong, it's like, well, it could only have gone one extreme or the other. It was either going to be the most epic win of the, of the century, or it was just going to be what it was, which was fucky. It was just kind of, I don't know how to describe well, it. Any and, other that's, way. and I think that's, that's something you, you have to put at Rossi's feet. And I think that's what Rossi fanatics need to understand. Like, like they're sitting there and they, they boo Lorenzo and they boo Marquez and like, you know, Lorenzo doesn't help himself with being the way he is sometimes. Lorenzo is like the Ted Cruz of fucking MotoGP. Is right. <laughs> no, here. So we just had all this discussion about the Marquez and Rossi. Think about poor little Lorenzo there. He tried like hell to to be like Rossi his first few years in and did all the antics and tried to build the fandom. And those of us who were Rossi fans were like, "You are." Fucking poser, faking the funk. Stop it. Just get on with it. I don't want to see you in your. I, I don't want to see you in it, trying to celebrate in any way, shape, or form like he did because you're just, you're just a poser. Oh my god! So that made it even that's like, worse. That, that's like the anti-fanaticism, though. Like you're, yeah. you're almost a fanatic against Lorenzo. Yeah, I'm sure. And that's a that's a problem too. It's like ah, oh, I shouldn't be because he's obviously talented, right? Oh, amazingly talented, amazing rider. But I could give a shit, right? I don't, I don't, it don't care. It sucks. And that's an interesting part of it. And, and to bring it full circle, bring it full circle. I feel like I'm like that with EBR sometimes. Yeah. Where sure. I go the other way. I'm like, I'm like an anti-fanatic because the fanatics are so yeah. like four standard deviations off the median. <laughs> like to balance that out, you have to like, you just have yeah. to go the, the whole other way. Yeah. You have to be, um, yeah. what's the tropical thunder guy, you know, just, just go the whole, just commit all the way. The other way. Never go full <clears throat> Motard? Right. No? Go full Supermoto. <laughs> just, I have to go full Supermoto on EVR sometimes. Because <laughs> it just... <sighs> but, the, but seriously, uh, all this stuff, and now here's Lorenzo, multi-time world champion, just won last week, last year's championship, asterisk, but Bullshit. Is, is sitting there like not getting his just desserts, which I think he thinks he's he, sh he should have gotten the Rossi fandom. He's not even close, I don't think. I think I think Lorenzo is in the middle of a giant fu because he's going to go to Ducati, and he's going to go probably get a way better bike than Rossi got, yeah, and he's true. going to win a championship on it, and he's just going to be like zero fuck. Yeah, but at, over the course of time, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to give him. He'll never be Rossi. See, I think I think that's where I disagree. I think I think Lorenzo is going to be like a shitty bottle of wine where you just stick it in your cellar for like thirty years, and it just gets better. No, because because no. I think I think we're gonna forget about all the stupid stuff. I think we're gonna forget about him thumbing down on the podium and the booze and his stupid little post race like planting the flags in Lorenzo Land. I think we're gonna forget all about that. We're gonna be like that dude was legit fast and he won like 
five championships in MotoGP after like a glorious like 10 year career and went to like four different manufacturers and wow nobody because nobody nobody talks about like the shitty stuff that that happened between like Schwanz and Rainey yeah, and, absolutely and Robert. Eddie Lawson is he's a four-time champion at the height everybody loves Schwanz right sorry it's the it's the truth so Lawson is the most close to what Lorenzo is. Yes, there were so many people that called the guy God. Like L Lawson fans at the time were pretty ardent fans, but because he was so meh, right, as far as his personality, wasn't quite there. And on track, he was just steady, steady Eddie, right? Awesome, full respect, but does not ha have that same thing that Schwantz did. And Schwantz only won one championship. So that's a very cool thing to watch over the years to see the differences in what people find and strike on as saying, that's what makes a, a true champion or somebody that's just elevated above the rest of the champions. That's an interesting point. That's an interesting point. Like you, you make some good points. And I wonder how much of that is a difference in personality. Because, it is. Because it is. having met Kevin Schwanz and having met Eddie Lawson, you probably couldn't pick more divergent people's terms of yep. like introvert versus extrovert. Yep, yep. And I think that's kind of interesting. You can't hate on Eddie Lawson. The guy no, is amazing. No, no, and he's no. a good person. And he, like there's, there's a lot of good stories about that. It's not like I'm trying to say. But I think he's, he's also bad. the kind of guy where it's like, I'm retired and I'm going to do my own thing. And, and I don't really need to be a part of the. Yeah. the tapestry right now like you you guys continue doing your, you, you want to be a part of the paddock and 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 have a track that's 3.4 miles that you're involved with and go do your whole thing you know that's great go do you you do you i'm gonna go do me whereas schwantz is like i want to be involved i like it this is my passion and brand know. ambassador doing all yeah, the things he's, he's right always been great it. always been great at that so there's a difference there yeah i, I don't sort of from a fanatic standpoint that's one of the things right mcdoin amazing dude but not quite that not unfortunately a lot of people that we associate with in motorcycles and racing they're just like oh yeah he was a he was a fast guy in the late 90s right five-time world champion i think i can't remember exactly mainly because it's he did it so many times but i'm pretty sure it's five times in a row a bunch of them yeah amazing and it's like it, it, mcdoin's amazing but again not the not a rossi not even close it's it's a fascinating thing, but he was also kind of a I wouldn't call him dour, but he's not he he wasn't an exuberant. He was more introverted. <laughs> he's <right>? an Aussie. <laughs> well, yeah, that's part of it, sure. But there's Aussie and there's uh, Troy Bayless, who I put over most of the people we're talking about as far yeah. as being an awesome champion, best motorcycle racer of all time guy, and he is an exuberant, awesome Aussie, right? So I wouldn't paint Aussies as being that's fair one thing or another, that's right? Fair. There's a few Aussies that, yeah, they're much same with Americans. Guess, Aussies are like hyper Americans. As I guess. I, I guess the thing I was glamping onto was just this idea of like, you can kind of be like a not a hermit, but like a, a reclusive Aussie, but still like just be ardently speaking your mind. Like it's like yeah. it's like this kind of like weird dynamicism where, where like you kind of have elements of both. Whereas like I think, maybe more an American European way. It's like you have your more. I was going to say submissive writers, but I don't think that's the right word. But you know what I'm trying to say. Like, there's, there's writers that, like, shoot for the line. Like, you got your Johnny Rock pages who are just in it for headlines. Yeah. And you've got your just insert vanilla writer name here. Who's just like, I'm just here to race. I don't really want to talk to people or any do anything. I just want to kind of do my thing. Well, where do you put... Uh Stacy Moner and all that. That's not fair to say that. I don't, I don't agree. I'm not going to engage with him when you say that. <laughs> I will tell you about this guy I know, Casey Stoner, 
who I think I think literally I think that's his thing. I think he's I think he's not reclusive again is the wrong word, but I think he's a guy who's like I really like riding motorbikes. I don't really like talking to people. I like to play video games. I don't really like talking to people. I like hanging out at my motorhome. I don't really like talking to press people. When I say people, I mean literally journalists and like media people, not like people people but and probably um, people people too but still like such an Aussie was just like oh and by the way I think this guy's full of shit and this bike didn't work today and this didn't do that and this didn't do this and this went well and that did not and these are my these are my completely unfiltered thoughts are we done now okay cool I'm gonna go like do my own thing see you later and it took us what half an hour to even get him mentioned in this show and that guy's probably the fastest out of all the people we oh just my talked god about. wicked fast yeah <laughs> you make a good point with that yep casey stoner probably the fastest racer i've ever seen yep and Absolutely. there there he is again he got out okay fair enough he got out on on high on but high. is, is and, he gonna be looked at like rossi not even close Right. No, but I don't think he wanted to be, though. Nope. That's no, the thing. That's Fair the play. thing. I don't think he ever wanted to be, and that's what he hated about it, and that's why, like, him being a Ducati test rider, like, I was talking to some some people that know him far better than I do, and, like, he's super stoked. Yeah. It's, like, the perfect job for him because he gets to go out on a GP bike when he wants to. Yeah. He gets to go do his Wicked Fast thing. I'm sure we're going to see him do a wild card or two. He's got to, and that was but, the problem but, with the Honda because he was doing that for Honda. Well, that's because... So this is the other part of that, that story, right? Because uh, there was a big thing with with Marquez's people uh -huh. and Honda not either valuing Casey Stoner's opinion or not wanting to give it too much credence because they didn't want that to take away from yeah, Mark's limelight. Marquez, yeah. And it was like a very much of like, oh, you've got a bunch of test data. We don't want to look at it. Uh, we don't, we just, we're going to do this in our own thing. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Hmm. And if you're HRC, are you going to like stand behind your guy who's retired or stand by your guy who's winning championships for hmm. you right now? Hmm. And I think that was the big thing with, with, Casey and I think the, the straw that broke the camel's back was when he wasn't allowed to replace Danny when he got hurt yeah and it was like guys I'm in put me in coach I'm ready to play and they're like nope test rider because heaven forbid Casey Stoner should come back on a Honda get a bunch of attention and maybe outshine the current you know wonder boy who in the was, team who was struggling basically right at that time right right and so like you know there's a lot of politics to play there and I think I think and from what I've heard is he's so stoked to be at Ducati because they're actually using him. They're actually looking at his data. He's literally playing like a mentoring role for the Andreas where he gets to go in and say, hey, guys, you know, I went out and did five laps and I found if I, you know, click my heels three times, the bike actually works. Why don't you give it a try next time you go out? And like there's like a there's an actual like collegial environment going on there. And collegial. Collegial. I, like that. I don't you know. I've, I've heard it, but it's interesting. I still yeah. got the Mountain Dew. I mean, I'm getting yeah, the good sure. words. But, well, but he, I think he, he might end up valued. getting my respect back. He, he might because I I've I had lost respect for him when he turned into Stacy Moner. And if he's back to being Casey Stoner, which was the guy that I was the only person that bet on to win when he was on an LCR Honda at MotoGP in 2006, when I was like, that kid's rad. He came from 250s and 125s, and right? I was so excited by that kid. It was so awesome. And then he turned into a shit bag from my standpoint Boo. oh god i hated dealing I'm any a, aspect uh, of it it was horrible i'm, I'm so I, I disagree with you so much on no, that i know you do but same it's not right whatever so he, he i mean i get i get why you're saying it i get it yep right. i just i just disagree sure I, I, and, and I'm not hating on you for it. I like I get it. I'm not. It's no, not. it's like we can have different opinions. Yeah, it's amazing how that works. People. Right. That's so weird. because of that, though, I I am saying maybe maybe if he's, but not because of the Ducati, not because he's back, but be, if he's truly getting back into it, and he I just is, like I just want to stop for a second because there's totally America, some there's totally some asshole next door at the bar revving his Harley Davidson. And he does this every Saturday night, recording on a Saturday night. Yeah. He does this all the goddamn time. And I just want to be like, hey, man, 
does your bike really not run that bad? Like, I got some mechanic friends. We can help you out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come down there. Like, <laughs> like is your idle really that rough <laughs> that you have to keep revving it? <laughs> Unbelievable. The microphones are picking it up. Oh, what a douche canoe. <laughs> but again, fanaticism. Fanaticism. You know, there's a reason he has that bike. There's a reason he feels like he has to, you know, goose it 15 times before he leaves the bar. Or she. Could have been a girl. Could have been a woman. No, that's a dude. That's only 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 a guy would be that That's big of an asshole. Interesting. We should only a guy could be that big. We of an need asshole to go to bike. Sturgis to, to to see if that's like go to some place where there's a lot of male and female riders. Are there? I wonder what the demographic for Harley's female to male is. Is it running in the same higher? So, so I will say the growth that we're this is this is a different podcast. Oh my god, we're getting the into growth this, that we see in motorcycling right now with female riders because it's at thirteen percent now. Yeah, that's all Harley Davidson. Oh, okay. That's all Harley Davidson. That's that's Harley Davidson. I mean, think about it. One in two yep. new bikes sold in the U.S. is a Harley. Yep. Harley's the only OEM that is actively pursuing female riders with their advertising campaigns. It's all all that female growth is Harley Davidson, and that's the joke. That's the joke because I wrote a piece on it, and people. When was this? This was a while ago. Okay. But um. Oh, the one where you out, you had the picture of what's her face. And the kind of almost yeah, nude. Yeah, yeah, I forget who it was, but she's an actual Harley Davidson owner and Harley Davidson yeah, rider. Yeah, Marissa Myers, Miller, Miller, something. She was a sport, even like a Sports, Sports Illustrated, Illustrated swimsuit yeah. the cover girl. Shows you how close the attention I'm paying to that. But yeah, put her on it, and then of course, as a joke, as a joke, as, as the a trope, commentary, right? It's like, hey, congratulations, we got 13. percent But that's still how we think about women on motorcycles. It's a girl in a bikini on a bike. So we can pretend like we're not jerking ourselves off at work. <laughs> All right. Went off the rails. Sorry. Sorry. I don't know if you're going to be able to, to edit that one. I'll leave it in. All right. That's good. But we, we, we do need- have to wrap this one up because we've, we've gone on. Is there a takeaway from the show, Quentin? No. That, I'm glad that I don't feel like I'm a fanatic of anything. I'm really glad. Like it, it, I, I think I feel more well-rounded and, and centered by not. I, I try and think of the things in life that I'm... I think I'm more of an anti-fanatic about certain things. Uh, VW Beetles, uh, Scooters, um, Casey Stoner, Jorge Lorenzo. There's certain, like, I'm, I'm like, okay, good. I feel better that I'm more of a contrarian than I am a fanatic. <laughs> I would think, I would think just the, the, the ethos of this show is us being able to sit down and talk about anything two-wheel related. And... To, so that you don't have to? So that the readers, the, the listeners really don't have work to? On that. I'm going to work on that tagline. I'm going to come up with another one for okay. next show. Keep working on we're it. Gonna, I, think it, I think it could be gonna part beta, of the thing. We're going to be like Google where we just beta test it live. <laughs> you know, like screw like, you know, coming off a Why finished not? product when right? I can just hone my half-assed product on you, <laughs> a live audience. <laughs> um, but, you know, like look at like what we're doing here. It's just to sit down and talk about motorcycles. And I think the only way you can counteract these kind of fanatics that go down their little little rabbit holes of, of mutual gratification. You know, I'm trying to think of a, of a euphemism that they're jerking each other off. They're double Dutch ruddering each other. That's, <laughs> that's how I, that's how I imagine Buellistas and Ducatistas and Valentino Rossi fans, fanatics, sorry, Valentino fanatics. It's just like, a bunch of people all just Dutch running each other around their effigy of whatever it is that they've centered their motorcycling around because it's uh, just like, you're not even uh, a motorcyclist anymore. You're something else. And you're not like a MotoGP fan. You're something else. And it's just, that's not what we're about here. Like we need to be able to have a conversation about Valentino Rossi that, that is fair and objective and, 
and ha- and still be able to talk about Jorge Lorenzo and still talk about Casey Stoner and still talk about Buells and Ducatis and Aprilias and Yamahas and Hondas because that's the industry. It's not the, just this one thing, and you ha- you can't be that myopic. That's what makes you. That's what would make us. I would say a true enthusiast instead of just a. I don't know. Partial double Dutch rudder enthusiast. Yeah. <laughs> DDR. DDR. EBR, DDR. What? Oh, too close. Too soon. <laughs> too soon, Quentin. Like, we just got like a whole new thread on the Buell forum. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. Well, good. Downward spiral. Uh, oh, oh, we wanted to end the show. I want to do this thing where um, listeners can record something, like either a message or a question. Something to, to, that would be content worthy. Questions. Comments. Questions for for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So two enthusiasts at asphaltandrubber.com. Uh just send us a little like audio recording if you can. We should probably I, more I've noticed that other podcasts do like a voicemail thing. We should get that set up, but I don't want people calling me in the middle of the You're night. You're the tech guy. I don't know how to do it. Yeah, well. Sorry. Yeah. Thanks, bud. <laughs> uh with that, uh follow us on the Facebook, Facebook.com slash two enthusiasts. Follow us on Twitter at Two Enthusiasts. Listen to us on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on Overcast, on iTunes. Leave us ratings, leave us comments, share it with your friends. Probably don't listen to it with your kids. <laughs> Just, you know, unless you want them to turn out to be criminals. Because we curse like sailors. Sorry, Mom. Unapologetically unapologetically it's got the explicit thing on it now yeah good i feel like that's just like fair warning awesome i didn't know that absolves us from all wrongdoing (laughs) whoever whoever complained on itunes about that you're right you win (laughs) i tip my hat too sir (laughs) all right kick stands up yeah go fuck yourself (laughs) good talk see you out there later Hello and welcome to the two the, two enthusiast podcast. Hello and hello and welcome to the two enthusiast podcast. I am Jensen Beeler and I am Quentin Wilson. Oh, I fucked that up. Yeah, what did you do? What did you say? It's because that's how we start the Paddock Pass podcast. Oh. It's like hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. I'm Jerkoff McGee. You can follow me on Twitter at rustyfists.com <laughs> is a rusty fist a thing i don't it's like i'm sure it is i bet if you go to urban dictionary there's an there's a rusty fist in there and i don't want to know what it is if that's the case